Welcome to a Radio 191 FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. All right, it's a Thursday morning. That means it's history time. I'm joined by Dr. Valetta Gillibert. Good morning. Kia ora, Jamie. How are we, friend? Oh, very well, thank you. Very it's happy to marvelous. be here. Yes, well, it's, I'm very happy to have you again. <laughs> right, we're looking this morning at pre-colonial and early colonial marriage and family in Farnell in Aotearoa. So marriage in pre-colonial Māori society. How important was marriage to Māori? Well, rather central, um, as it happens. And mm-hmm. um, it was quite a central social building block to most of I may generalise around the world, but um, certainly in the case of Māori society. Rather complex as well, many meanings as, as for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for the most part, most marriages were from within hapu or iwi, right? Correct, yes. Um, you'd marry close to home usually. And um, yeah, there were, there were options depending on uh, what kind of uh, rank, what your whakapapa said about you, um, where you were positioned socially and within your family as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you were kind of lowly on the ranks, could mm. you only marry from lowly on the ranks? It would be usual. Um, there what if you were real hot? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, you see. So mana was inherited, but it could also be um, accrued. So if you were an amazing singer, mm-hmm. if you were uh, a, a great fighter or extremely beautiful, for example, um, you know, a great storyteller, whatever, um, you know, lots of cultural attributes uh, were great, of great value. And so um, you could make yourself a more appealing match on that basis. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of the marriage was arranged, right? And arranged quite early in a person's life. Yeah, it depended, but um, because there was that element of whakapapa, um, marriage wasn't seen as like an, an individual matter, a matter of individual preference. Individual preference could come into it um, at various yeah. degrees, but because, uh, you know, the family's mana is at stake, um, usually elders had some say yeah. in what was happening, and even sometimes elder siblings could object to a marriage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so there was a lot of family input, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, there's some classic Māori folklore around, you know, young couples mm. that were in love and couldn't be together, so yeah. they run away, right? For sure. Hinemoa and um, yes. Tutanekai are, I think, um, the most well-known. Um, an interesting thing about legends like that, uh, I think, is they they made social norms evident in kind of reverse as well. Um their heroes weren't doing the normal thing or something that was like necessarily desirable. Yeah. They were liminal heroes. There were some people doing extraordinary things that weren't really expected. And so there were as much warning tales, um, uh, as well as being, you know, amazing and interesting tales of bravery. Mm-hmm. Um, they had complex meanings, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So the majority of like marriages um, were to make you know the iwi strong, yeah, mm. uh, and good links within um, for, uh, dif- different hapu within the iwis, right? For sure. Uh, and then, but there's also the intertribal marriage, mm. you know, um, and I guess this is to forge alliances with other tribes. For sure, yeah. Um, if we're talking about intermarriage in New Zealand, actually the first intermarriages happened before Europeans even got here, but they were yes. happening in a tribal context. And um, for sure, intertribal marriages could happen. They were more common among um, the higher-ranking folk. Yeah. 
because uh, there was more kind of at stake or implicated with joining two high-ranking whakapapa lines and they could have pretty pretty large social consequences. Um, Intertribal marriages could seal uh, profitable trading relationships, um, peace deals, um, or even alliances in case of uh, warfare or tensions with other tribes. So, um, yeah, they, they meant quite a lot. Yeah. The yeah. 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 So yeah. So those are the higher rank, and then you know, six. The six life. You know, you could have six before marriage, right? You could, unless you were certain woman. For sure. Um, it absolutely depended upon your status and um, uh, your whakapapa and again where that placed you. So, um, there was the possibility if you were a member of, I suppose, the common folk. Um, mm-hmm. You, uh, your uh, whakapapa wasn't especially kind of uh, elevated or significant um, that you could uh, experiment with your sexuality as a mm-hmm. young person, for sure. Yeah. Um, the only kind of condition placed upon that was that um, if a pregnancy resulted, yeah, okay, then that sealed the deal because the whakapapa are now joined. Yes. So, um, as a matter of course, usually, um, and kind of... Um, having publicly displaying a relationship um, going about with somebody or stepping out with somebody as um, Europeans would do being seen in a public place um, there was an equivalent of that in Māori society as well where it's like okay we're together um, people have a right to uh, I suppose object or comment yeah um, but it's it's a way of making a relationship known so um, Ken can deal with it and accept it or place conditions upon it sometimes um, if there was a mismatch in um Whakapapa, someone was of a higher status than another. Um, the higher status family may demand a form of utu from the lower status uh, person's kin yeah. to balance things and sanction the relationship to go forward. So there was a lot oh. involved, yeah. yeah. Um, but for, for others, um, sexuality was uh, not really a flexible matter. What about a dowry? Well, there were forms of exchange that went along with um, sealing a marriage in a relationship. Um, nothing in the way of a dowry in the sense that it was gendered. Because yeah. actually, um, in pre-colonial Māori society, and speaking as a historian, um, not in the contemporary sense, because I know nothing about this, um, but historically, um, inheritance was bilateral. Yeah. In terms of both uh, land, resources, um, taonga, what have you, and also uh, mana. So in this sense... Um, dowry or payments exchanges of um, gifts of food of feasting what have you was decided upon the basis of mana rather than gender long story short yeah short story long that's really interesting (laughs) um so when there was the intertribal marriages they could be quite positive Mm -hmm. but they could also be quite negative couldn't they yeah, they could. Um, marriage is rarely a straightforward business. Yes. Um, same went for pre-colonial times. And so uh, if a marriage was troubled for whatever reason, um, things could go rather south because you have the mana of um, your kin, your hapu, your iwi perhaps, if it's a high-ranking marriage at stake. Yeah. Um, so even when a marital relationship was sealed, it needed to be nurtured and supported. And usually... A wider network of kin were involved in doing that. What about in Pakeha terms, divorce? Was that a commonplace thing in Māori? 
Uh, it was possible. Actually, um, the person who talked about, about this would be my colleague Inanna Walter, who's written a thesis on Māori divorce. Oh, wow. Um, so there are definitely ways to go more in-depth than I, I might be able to do. But um, relationship, the separation of relationships was possible. Um, again, class decided how much of a drama that might be. Um, it could potentially send two iwi um, to war against each other. But... Um, relationships uh, that were troubled could also kind of be peaceably or amicably separated sometimes again with an exchange yeah. involved to kind of keep everybody happy so cook arrives three voyages mm -hmm. third voyage i think was um 1773 mm -hmm. and not long after 1773 you start to get whalers and sealers well sealers at first they start coming to aotearoa uh, or sealing uh, around the coastline um, so what happened in terms of intermarriage with Pakeha and Māori? Well, uh, it was a pretty ad hoc thing, I suppose, because um, sailors uh, and you know people coming to resupply, um, sealers and eventually whalers, they didn't uh, often set up on a permanent basis. Yeah. So the earlier marriages, um, sometimes couples would come together for months or years at a time and then be separated. Um, or more months or years, or sometimes permanently. Um, so it was a rather uncertain business, mm -hmm. um, founded on some practical considerations, mainly um, that you know uh, these uh, European folk who were coming from all over the place in search of whatever they were looking for—seals, whales, etc.—they um, needed uh, fresh water, they needed food um, and shelter sometimes, and um, permission to build on Māori land or to yeah. even set up temporary shelters there. Um, so, in exchanging perhaps gunpowder, tobacco, blankets, whatever they had on hand, um, they established relationships with uh, the local folk. And eventually, um, much like a profitable trading relationship would be sealed in another case, in a tribal sense, um, these were sealed by marriage as well. Yeah, wow. And so, I mean, were many of these for love or for com comfort and sex? Well, uh, you could ask that same question about a lot of marriages today, I think. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> hot take. Um, well, they've been interpreted in a lot of different ways, and I think all of those considerations came into it. Um, yeah. There were certainly some early marriages that were extremely um, loving and that have been well documented as being so. Um, in other cases, uh, it was more of a exchange relationship. Yeah. And um, something, you know, a Māori woman could bring her, her folk, her family, her whānau, great benefits by marrying a Pākehā. Yeah. Um, so there were lots of considerations at play on both sides. With the language barrier, would the early Pākehā even know that they were being married? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they probably would have had some idea. Yeah. Um, I think they probably... Um, would have sought it. I mean, just to have some kind of a stable relationship with yeah. these um, tribal people that they are needing to um, kind of get themselves established with. So um, I, I think there was probably a good deal of knowledge. Um, you know, towards the kind of early mid 19th century, there were a few folk who were termed uh, Pakia Māori, who were um, Europeans who stayed with yes. Māori, um, with iwi on a permanent basis, and who became very fluent in Te Reo Māori, um, in custom, in tikanga when it came to um, sealing trade deals and the like. So um, between folk like that, and also of course missionaries who were able to speak the language, yeah. um, people got by. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, so would, in those early 
intermarriages between Pakeha and Māori, would they normally be Māori women of a lowly rank, or could it be high-ranking Māori women? It could be both, frankly. Yeah, uh, yeah it just depended on um, who was involved and what was at stake, yeah. <laughs> which is a very unclear answer, I, I yeah. realise. Um, but yeah, it, it was um, it wasn't confined to a particular social class. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe. Mm. Um, you know, with these, not long after you know, New Zealand started to be used as a whaling station, and um, you know, um, white men were coming here. Uh, missionaries started to appear. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you got the classic Samuel Marson, the famous, uh, most famous one. Oh yes. Yeah, uh, and but many, many more. Um, what were what were their thoughts on these early marriages between Pakeha and Maori? Well, I mean, they were rather mixed, surprisingly. Um, so, as we would assume, um, some missionaries, um, indeed many, were rather suspicious of these marriages. They conceived them as um, you know, more or less exclusively in terms of sexual commerce. Yeah. As yeah. in, you know, these wives, uh, these Māori women had been, quote-unquote, sold to these Pākehā men um, in exchange for it. Uh, permission to set up and to live on the land um so there was that perspective mm-hmm. and there were also others who um saw these marriages as relatively harmless and even positive um especially if a couple agreed to be baptized and married under the church ah, of course so um the first official interracial marriage in new zealand in a churchy sense was performed by uh a missionary Thomas Kendall in 1823, and some people might be familiar with this name Philip Tapsall. Mm. Uh, we hear it around occasionally, and uh, a Napoli woman called Maria Ringer. So, um, interestingly, Thomas Kendall uh, well, obviously thought he was doing a rather good thing, he was um, sanctioning this union in the eyes of God, yeah, um, for the first time, technically, and in, um, in the Christian sense. Uh, his superior, who happened to be Samuel Marsden, yeah. was rather unhappy. <laughs> he did not feel that um, this this should have been done and that this should become a norm. Yeah. Um, he wanted, I think, more stringent conditions surrounding um, who could uh, qualify to marry. And Philip Tapsell, I suppose he was a trader. I'm not sure what his background was and whether Marsden had a problem with him personally, but others felt that um, uh, had more mixed feelings about it. Because there's always this p- rosy picture painted of Samuel Marsden, and it's, you know, you know, and, and the history that you learn at school when you first learn about him, but mm. it's so wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, he's problematic. Rosie would be a pretty incomplete picture, I yeah. think. I mean, you know, historically he was known as the flogging parson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, a very complex character. If anybody wants to read his collected letters and diaries, the book I think is over yeah. eight hundred pages long. So, <laughs> it was interesting, Samuel, and you know, after him, Gray and all that. You know, mm. they could have just easily, like they did in other territories, banned these marriages. Well, yes. So they're not going to happen at all. Uh, you look at the United States, you look at um, Australia, you're probably talking mm-hmm. about South Africa. Yeah. You know, all these things are banned. Mm-hmm. These, why not here? Well, um, you could look at several factors. I think possibly the most important one is how uh, modern New Zealand was as a colony. It was established after the abolition of slavery. Mm. And so uh, humanitarian ideas 
which today we think of as rather incomplete humanitarian ideas, but back then were very progressive, um, were in vogue and among missionaries and um, you know people in government alike. So the idea of um, not committing outright genocide on an indigenous population, but thinking of um, more humanitarian means of uh, settling a land and kind of um, bringing indigenous people into a legal system and a cultural system, uh, rather than outright oppression, um, sneakier means were employed or um, kind of thought of. And marriage was one of these things. It was um, felt to have a civilizing influence mm-hmm. upon um, Māori women, which it brought in into these um, relationships with Pākehā men and usually into a Pākehā world or theoretically under some form of Pākehā influence, which in the missionary mind, uh, it was a rather promising idea that these ideas and um, cultural influences would trickle down, <laughs> horrible expression, um, but kind of, you know, diffuse throughout the Māori community through interracial marriages. And so um, they didn't not only um, decline to ban interracial marriages, but in some cases encouraged and actually publicised them and mm-hmm. held them up as um, uh, kind of a, an example of how well New Zealand was doing in terms of developing as a nation. All right, well, that, that's intriguing and interesting. And I guess those ideas will be developed on as we go through the 19th century uh, and post-treaty and post-land war marriage ideas within the colony. Uh, so we'll start looking at those next week, shall we? Sounds like a plan, Jamie. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us again this morning and we will talk once more next week. Kia ora. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. There are heaps more at r1.co.nz.